Hi, folks. It's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. Now, some of you may be wondering about the title of today's episode, which is The Moment. Now, we've done podcasts in the past about preparation and practice routines before. That's nothing new. But this episode is about how to prepare for the moment when you need to put it all together and make it work. And this is true for both competitors and hunters. Sometimes you spend days, weeks, even months preparing to make that shot count. doesn't matter if you're a hunter and if it's a buck of a lifetime in your sights or if you're a target archer in a finals match with your last arrow determining the outcome of your match. The pressure is all the same and we have to be able to put all of our training into that one moment to make it happen just as you scripted it in your head. We'll start with the hunters out there. In most parts of the country, the hunting season has already started. It is about to start. But let's just say you've been working hard all summer long, getting ready to go out there and make it happen. A lot of things are working against you already. Because if you haven't heard of it before, there's always buck fever. And that's that feeling you get when you see that animal the first time. And all of a sudden, your arms turn to jelly. Your heart's beating out of control. You can't breathe right. All kinds of stuff goes on. Um, Your nerves start to freak out. It just adds to a ton of things that can already go wrong on top of everything else. And believe it or not, even the sight of a fawn or a doe will cause that jelly leg, will cause you to get that buck fever. No one can really explain why it happens, but it does. But we're here to tell you that you can get through that sort of thing. If you prepare your mind just as much as you prepare your shot, like I said, you're practicing all the time, working hard, simulating shooting, shooting longer and longer distances, different positions, that sort of thing. If you're a target archer, you're working on shooting a three spot. You're working on shooting a five spot. But you have to prepare your mind just as much as you're preparing that that workout routine. We'll start with the hunters you know, first, because that's probably the more common thing that's going on these days because, like I said, the season's about to start or has started in a lot, a lot of different parts of the country. So you get out. The best thing you can do for that is get out in the woods, experience the, the smells, the sounds, because whenever you're in an environment that's not in the norm, you're going to act differently. And when your environment is not familiar to you, you are absolutely ripe for a case of buck fever. But if you can become accustomed to that environment, it'll make it easier. It's like the first time when when you were a kid and you go into a classroom full of new kids you'd never met before. A lot of times you get a case of the nerves. And until you become accustomed to them, you really didn't relax in in that classroom. Years later, they probably became your friends and that sort of thing. But it's the same way when it comes to deer hunting, you go into a woods. I mean, let's just say you're practicing on the archery range. If it's an indoor range, it's, you know, indoors, no wind or anything like that. That's why all my students practice outdoors, especially before the hunting season. If that's the environment you're used to, when you get, go out there the first time and you're looking at, at, at a deer or something like that from a stand, or blind, whatever it may be, that entire environment is very, very different for you. So even if you've been doing this for years, I tell people the same thing. You've got to get out there and you have to get your body and your mind accustomed to it again. 
Because let's just say you're the type of person who goes out into the woods only twice a year or three times a year, and it happens to be during a hunting season. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, while that second or third time you're out there in the woods, like you've got this, you're ready for it. After like six or seven months of not doing that, believe it or not, your mind forgets all about it. And it's a whole new experience all over again when you do expose yourself to it. So again, if you become accustomed to the environment, it'll make it easier for you. Now, how do you put all this together? You can use your time that you spend scouting, putting up stands, and the like to your advantage. Sit in your stand for a few hours a couple times. Observe the deer who are around there, if it's legal. Again, you have to make sure that you don't become that guy who's ignorant of the laws. In some places, it's not legal to sit up in your stands when it's not the hunting season. But let's just say that it is. Spend time, put up your stand wherever you're going to be, and just sit there. And you'll see that if you're quiet enough, if you've done everything right, the deer are going to repeat their patterns just like they will hopefully on that opening day. And you can get used to seeing them out there close to you. You're not staring at a 3D target. You're looking at a living, breathing animal. So when you're in front of a 3D target, you don't have any real nerves. Why? It's not going to run off on you. If they came up with targets that actually did that, I'd be kind of surprised. Actually might be helpful or might screw you up even more. Back in the day, we used to have what they call pop-up targets. or tar- And even still today, you'll see some people who um, rig these targets on wheels and platforms so they can pull them across and shoot, you know, shoot at the target as it's moving. I'm just going to say this, and this has nothing to do with this podcast. That is outright stupid because you should not be shooting at a running animal. And all it does is, is um, favors target panic and creates a target panic for you because you got to get that shot off. But I'll get into that another time. I've been through that enough. I've beat that horse to death already. But like I said, you're sitting up there in the stand. You're looking at the animals come by. If you're in a blind, you're doing the same thing. You set up your blind. Like I said, if it's legal, sit there and just watch them walk by. It actually does two things for you. One, it gets you accustomed to how to act around them so they're not spooked or suspicious of you. Also, it kind of acclimates you to them because they might get familiar with your smell, that sort of thing. I mean, that really old, you know, KG buck, he might run off when he catches your scent, but that also tells you, hey, I'm not doing the right thing. I got to prepare myself a little bit better. Again, accustoming yourself to the environment. Because trust me, if it didn't work that day that you're in there, it's not going to work on opening day. It's not going to make any difference. So get in the woods as often as possible. Observe your animals in the woods so that you know when you see them that first time, you're like, oh, oh no, what what am I going to do? Because that won't happen because you've already seen them before. When it's time to do it all for real, it won't be a big deal at all because, again, you've numbed yourself to the experience. You appreciate it just as much, if not more, because it's opening day and now it's legal shooting season. But at the same time, you kind of numb yourself to it because now seeing that deer walking around the first time as opposed to a 3D target or a paper target, it doesn't freak you out, doesn't shock you. And again, it won't be a big deal at all. When it comes to taking the actual shot, Remember, even shooting at a 3D target isn't the same thing as staring down your sight at a living, breathing animal. Like I said, often your mind will wander. 
This is how most people wind up shooting at the whole animal instead of picking a spot because they could be freaked out. They, they're like, oh, wow, look at this. And the biggest problem I see with a lot of hunters is they focus on what the, the actual rack of the deer looks like and they forget all about the deer. They're so focused on what that rack looks like. I'm like, oh, my, what am I going to do? that they forget they took all their training and throw it out the window. And you don't want that to happen. That's how most people miss a shot because they forget about picking a spot. And especially this, if you have something go wrong, you have to be prepared for that also. Okay? There are times you can get it, get that second shot. But you can't waste it over fretting what's happened if you missed. Whatever's in the past is in the past. Let it go. Prepare yourself for what's going to come next. A lot of times, believe it or not, if you're quiet, you miss a shot, sometimes they won't move off too far unless it whizzes right by them. And other times, they'll circle back to where they were after a couple hours. So you still might have another opportunity. But even if you, even if you don't, don't focus on what just happened. Analyze what went wrong so that you can correct it the next time. You focus on what happens so you can correct it. Even if you don't get a second shot, you'll be better prepared for, for it the next time. Now, for target archers and competitors, the experience is almost the same. We have a phrase called backyard champions. What that means is a backyard champion is somebody who can shoot perfect scores, make those impossible shots when he's shooting with close friends or family, you know, in the backyard, that's why they call them backyard champions, or even out on the range, you know. But when it comes down to a competition where it counts for all the marbles, they just fall apart. They can't make it happen. It's really no different than the situation a hunter finds himself or herself in when they're looking at a prize trophy animal. When it counts, they allow stress, pressure, and nervousness to take over, and they just can't get it done. Even though the situation, such as the distance that they're shooting, is exactly the same as what they've been doing when they're practicing with their friends. They just can't put it all together. And what I tell people is the difference between a great archer and a champion archer, somebody who wins a lot of tournaments, is that they're able to take what they do in practice into a competition. They can tune out a lot of things. They can phase out a lot of things and only focus on the mission at hand. Then the only thing that really stops them is if they have a mechanical issue or they're having some other issue mentally going on. But it's that small percentage of people can, who can do that to distinguish them from the rest of them. When you're shooting in a tournament, you deal with a lot of noise. If you've ever been to a shoot before, especially indoor shoots, I'll use the Lancaster Classic as, a, as an example. This is one that I take my girls to almost every year. The second that the whistle blows, it sounds like World War III because all you hear is bop, 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 bang, boom, all these arrows hitting the target. Another example is, and that's a lot of noise that if you're not used to it, will freak you out. Another example is when you're shooting in Vegas, and this is an example a lot of people use. I'm just going to. Bring it out there again. You're shooting in Vegas. You have all your practice ends. 
But the minute that they say, this end is for score, people tense up, they tighten up, and then it's really on, and that's when it starts to go downhill. So with all these things that I just mentioned, like these are all the problems you can do. Like like I said, for the hunters, they got to go out there and experience it, familiarize with it. For the archers, you have to learn how to deal with noise. And this is the same thing for hunters too because the thing that really, really gets me, okay, I see a lot of people when they go to an indoor range, this is especially when I see it a lot, and they think it's a library. If someone is talking, they're like, hey, I can't shoot while you're talking. You got you to keep it down. Okay, if you're one of these people and I'm offending you by saying this, get a life. It doesn't work that way, okay? In real life, if you're practicing for a tournament, if you're practicing to be out in the woods and you can have that serene calm and peacefulness and your ohm and your inner yoga sense is all together and that's what you need to put your shot together, then you're going to suck in real life. What's going to happen is the minute that something's out of place, the minute there's too much noise, it's going to break you down and you're not going to be able to handle it. It doesn't mean that you're weak. What it means is, what did I say before? Change in environment, and it makes you fall apart. What do I do with with a lot of my girls and coaches who are listening out there to this? Maybe you should take a little bit of advice on this because it works, and those of you who are shooting in that library scenario, it don't work. My girls, when they're practicing at my place, I have a TV or radio blasting. I'm constantly doing something in the background that might distract them a little bit. I also have visual distractions. I'll have the TV on where they can see it. Not only that they can see it, they can hear it. Sometimes I won't have the volume on, but they can still see what's going on on the screen. If they're going to get distracted, I'm going to see it. What I'm trying to do is to accustom them to numbing the stuff out, focusing on your shot. When I see them drifting, I'm like, eh, Look where you just hit. You hit a 7 instead of hitting a 10. Why? Because you're watching on what's going on with that episode of Chicago PD I have playing on the TV. And it starts to click after a while. Also, all the noise, that sort of thing, they'll get used to it. I mean, sometimes when my girls are shooting in a tournament, people think, are they deaf? Or are they wearing earplugs? Because they just don't react to anything going on. They don't. Sometimes I got to be a little bit careful with that because they phase everything out so well that if the only thing they hear is whistles. So if something else were were happening, they probably wouldn't pay attention to it because they just learned to zone it out. So they learn to deal with the noise, and that's something that as a target archer, you need to learn how to do. You know, if you make, make it to a final or an elimination, there's a ton of extra pressure on top of everything else we just went over. And... That's, you know, when you're shooting 3D or paper, you want to be able to tune not only the noise, but to keep your focus on what your mission is. Goes for the hunters, same way. But you can shoot all the 3D, all the paper. Doesn't make a difference. You have to be able to focus on the goal to get it done. Sometimes you hear, and, and this is what I'm talking about, because, like, all these people get a phobia about, they're, they're sitting there, right? 
and they're say they make it to a final or even even going to the just the qualifications for a tournament you're out there you're shooting now when you're at home or you're within a range that you're familiar with you don't have a problem but now when you go out to 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 this tournament you're among people that most of the time you don't know you're in a place you don't know and there's a lot of people who get this idea that everyone everyone in the entire place is only watching what they're doing let me break something down for you when you're at a tournament everybody feels the same way and if you can be the one person who is focusing on the job at hand doesn't care about anybody looking at you and believe it or not no one's really looking at you they're all concerned about their own stuff they care less about what you're doing you know, this is not a title fight. You don't have 20,000 people out there watching what you're doing. No one's focusing on you. Kick that out of your head. Tune it out. All of a sudden, you'll become calmer. If you make it to a final, you've got more people focusing on, on what you're doing. Focus on your target. Nothing else. Tune everybody out. You'll be fine. You know, a lot of times that, that people don't know how to react or how they're supposed to react. What do I mean by supposed to react? Well, okay, we're going to go back to the hunters, for example. The hunters out there, they're like, well, you know, and this is, a, I go back to the example of that first person, the first timer who goes out there, they call it dumb luck when they wind up shooting like this massive trophy. And... All the other hunters are like, no, that was dumb luck. He he just happened to run into it at the right place at the right time, and, you know, he got lucky. Okay, I, t- I attest that to something else. That is that a lot of times these first-timers, they haven't been around all the things that are discussed in a club or a shooting range when it comes to deer hunting. What I mean is, like, everyone starts to hear, Oh, well, you're going to get buck fever. or That buck was so big, I didn't know what to do, and this and that. Although I find most people don't actually admit that. But when I squeeze it out of them, they'll say that's what happened. But they're talking about, oh, this, and it was such a tough shot and all that. They haven't been so exposed to any of that. So they didn't actually know that that's what they're supposed to be expected to do. If you don't know you're supposed to be expected to freak out, you're probably a little bit numb to begin with. You're going to go through that period of the jelly leg and buck fever and all that afterwards, maybe. But these people who you see do this the first time, generally, they were never exposed to all that talk and stuff like that. So they didn't know it was coming. And because of that, like, well, I didn't know I was supposed to get buck fever. I just saw it and I shot it. Very simple. Will they ever be able to do that again? Who knows? But sometimes that's the one shot of a lifetime they got. And because they were able to focus on what they were doing, they made it happen. For the rest of us, you need to be able to work on it and make it happen every single time by focusing only on what your objective is, what your mission is, be it to, your mission is to shoot that 10 ring if you're a target archer. Your mission is to pick a spot on on that deer and put it right where you want it so that you make a clean and ethical shot And everything turns out right. If you can focus on that, you're going to be fine. 
So I'm going to go down a list of a couple of things you can do. Like I said, one, familiarize yourself with the environment. Get out there. Know what the environment is going to be like. When it comes to a, to a tournament situation, go early. Sit there. Get familiar with, it's the same thing like the woods. Get familiar with the smells, the sounds in the place. You'll see some shooters go there to a tournament and they just spend time sitting there. Sitting there, observing, sitting there, observing. The more familiar you are with your surroundings, the better you're going to be. When it comes to taking the shot, I know it sounds easy to say to somebody, zone out everything else. You have to, and you can, as long as you can just envision one thing. If you're in the woods and you're aiming at a deer, imagine the fact that the only two things in the the woods that are there are you and the deer. That's it. Fades out everything else. All of a sudden, the sounds of the squirrels, the sounds of the chipmunks, the that annoying crow who's in a tree a couple of yards away, that sound all goes away. You focus on what you're going to do. Tournament, the same thing. If you're in a final or something like that, don't freak out. If you're shooting, and this happens a lot, if you happen to be a righty and you're shooting against a lefty, sometimes you're staring face-to-face with the person that you're shooting against. If that's the case, Look through them if you have to look at them. Don't be looking, you know, don't don't try to like not look at them. Just look right through them. When I address a large number of people, I do the same thing. I don't look at them. I look through them. And that's how you're taught to address a large number of people. It's the same thing. When you're competing, your opponent's not there. Look through them. You ever see these these uh, prize fighters when when they go and they're, they're getting ready and they go up to the center of the ring to, to you know, go face-to-face, and the referee's got them between them, you're going to get one of two types. You're going to get the guy who looks around at everybody except for his opponent, or you have the guy who's got, like, cold steel, and he's, like, looking right at him, but he's really not looking at him. He's looking through him. And that's what you got to do. Perhaps the biggest thing to do and the most important thing to do is don't let it all come down to when you're actually in that moment. You got to practice mentally for it. And how do you do that? Well, spend time. You could be, you know, at home sitting, having nothing to do. Go through what the perfect shot should be like in your head. Envision yourself drawing back on the deer without making a sound. Coming into your anchor, you know all your all your steps of your form. Coming to your anchor. Picking a spot. Aiming at the deer, not concentrating on the pin. And executing a perfect shot. Even go so far as to see when the deer goes down or once he's hit, knowing that you got to figure out where that arrow went, where he was hit, and documenting in your head where he was hit. For the target archer, it's the same thing. Focus on your draw. Focus on working on your breathing. Focus on envisioning that perfect shot, watching the arrow sail to that center of the target. Because what you envision and what you practice mentally spills out into what actually happens when you run that body program that makes these things happen. And if you can do that, you're going to be way ahead of the game. For the hunter, you'll be prepared. You probably won't miss if you do everything right. But, you're, but in doing this and pre- 
practicing these techniques that we just discussed here for the last few minutes, you will have brought it all together and eliminated that extra part of it. Now it's all on you, the equipment, and your shot. You've done your job by making sure your equipment is right. Same thing for the target archer. You spend all those weeks and months trying to get your equipment right, and now you've got the mental part of it and take that as a factor that can't affect you. And once you put all those things together, you can have success both on the tournament range as well as in the field. And that's going to do it for um, for for this segment as far as what the episode is all about and you know our concentration and focus on what to do when you're in that moment. Like I said, it's all about that moment. You work up to doing everything to prepare for that one moment. You could be working months, weeks, if you're a hunter in the summertime, preparing for that one 10-second moment when you're in front of the animal and you either make it happen or you don't. So be prepared. Prepare your practice routine. Prepare, prepare your mental routine. You'll make it happen. Your tournament archery, practicing for a big tournament coming up in the fall or in the early winter months when we're all in indoor, it's the same thing. Practice, practice, practice. Mentally prepare for it, and you'll do really, really well. Okay, it's time for our listener questions now. So, now just to explain, a lot of people, when they write into me, they're like, well, your listener questions always have something to do with the episode. I answer all the listener questions come in, no matter how off the wall they may be. But I do cherry pick some listener questions that have to do with the subject of the episode. And in this case, I've got three questions. And we're going to start with the first one which comes from Chad H. And he writes, Deer season opened here last week, and it got a shot at a pretty decent buck about 20 minutes after sunrise. But for the life of me, I couldn't see him through my peep. He came in from the east and had the sun at his back. When I tried to focus on him, my peep looked so small, it was like looking at a solid ball in the middle of my string. I should have waited, but I just looked over the peep and took the shot. I hit right under him. He bolted, and I never got another shot. I don't know what happened. Is there something wrong with my setup? I know by listening to your podcast that you can't give up, but man, I'm discouraged. Anything you can suggest would be appreciated because I'm going back in the woods tomorrow. Okay. Now, I answered this one. This was, let's see, today's Friday. I answered this one on Tuesday. And I think I answered it maybe an hour after I got it. Wednesday morning after I applied to him, he emails me back and he says, brother, you did it for me. I figured out what was going wrong. And I got a nice four-pointer, not a monster by any stretch of the imagination. And I made it happen. He came from exactly the same direction. So, in Chad's case, this is what happens. And I try explaining this to people. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they don't. When it comes to peep sites, okay, a peep site can look completely different. What you see through it, as far as how big it is or how small it is, depending on how much light is coming to your eye. So the first thing he said was that the deer came at, you know, out of the east with, with the sun at his back. Well, guess what? Especially in the early morning hours, if you're looking directly at a sunrise, that's like almost blinding. Your pupil gonna, is going to constrict to protect itself so much, so much, that that peep is going to look tiny. 
it was probably so bad that he just pro- when he looked through that peep, if he could even look through it at all, though he says it turned into a, like a solid ball, especially if he has a smaller peep, that when the deer came in, he couldn't see anything through it. And if anything, if he was able to see through it, that peep would have been so small that he might even even just saw a corner of his pin instead of the entire sight housing. And that's very common. The same thing happens where you have your peep perfectly sized and all that for the for the scope and while you're on the range and you go out outside okay and it it looks even smaller happens or you're the type of person who goes ahead and you're say shooting at a tournament you know and you're practicing and you're setting your sight for outside you go indoors with that to get to some short range practice and you're like man my peep is like it's got so much room around my scope. What's going on? Did I change? Someone changed my peep on me? No, it's because when you're indoors, you have less light coming into your eye, so your eyes gonna, your pupils gonna open up all the way. So now you see more, and that's the problems you got to deal with. In Chad's case, what I told him was, "Dude, relax. What happened to you was part of your problem was with the setup, so you weren't prepared for if the deer came out of the sun." I don't know from for you, but if you don't have sunglasses on or some kind of polarized sunglass, a lot of time when when a deer's coming out of the sun, you won't see it. All you see is like a black shadow. In his case, he lifted up, went to full draw, and is trying to look through a peep directly at the sun. It's like looking through a laser beam at your eye. You're not going to be able to see anything. He shot over it. Technically, no, he shot under it, sorry. Technically, he probably should have shot over it, but who knows? He probably dropped his arm, did all kinds of other crazy things. But in either case... I told him, I said, look, set your stand so it's pointing away from where the sun's going to rise. Because I explained the whole thing about, about him, about the peep. He says the deer came the same exact way. Another deer the next day came the same exact way, but this time he's facing away. So he looked and he saw him coming, but when he drew, his, his eyes weren't facing directly at the sun because he let it come broadside of him and he was able to get the shot. So it worked out very well. So the moral of the story, set up your shot so that you know what's going to go on. Try your peep sight in different light to see how it's going to work. Sometimes you just got to have someone flash a flashlight, you know, near near the side of your eye, not directly into it, just to see how much that peep is going to close. For target archers, they face the same problem, different lighting, but they do make kits where you can just put change the aperture size on there for something that's very, very small when you have a lot, you know, a very low light situation to something that's very, very big when it's really say the other way around. Something that's very, very big when, when you have a, a low light situation, something very, very small when you have a bright light situation. But I'm glad that it worked out for Chad because like I said, when I got that email the next day, I was thrilled because I'm like, dude, got another shot. He made it happen. Our next listener question comes from Daryl B who writes, I've seen all your Instagram and Facebook posts of late. Your ladies in quotes are anything but that when it comes to taking out targets, they're absolutely vicious. My daughter is 16 and I just got her a, a new diamond bow so she can shoot with me. But the problem I see is that she isn't excited about it. She does like shooting, but I don't know how to keep her interested. Okay. Daryl, this is a pretty simple one. Um, you know, if you see all the Facebook posts, I get a lot of people into archery as it is. I get a lot of families involved in archery. But the one thing that you have to do is you have to keep them interested. And you also have to make sure that they're comfortable doing it. Now, I'm not saying that this is the situation where you are. Because you might be only shooting in your backyard or something like that. And that's fine. 
But if you're shooting at a public range or you're shooting at a club, okay, the worst thing that I've seen of late, and it's getting way better because I try to bring a lot more lot more women into this, but in your traditional sporting clubs, there's not a lot of women there, not especially not a lot of young, young girls there. And not for nothing, if you're bringing your, your daughter with you to the club with every intention of getting her interested in the sport, that is absolutely awesome. But put yourself in her shoes. If she's the only young lady in the place, okay, surrounded by a bunch of older guys smoking cigars or whatever they're doing, talking, not always necessarily respecting, you know, the ears of a young lady when some of the things they say and stuff like that. Although she might like doing it, she's not going to feel so comfortable with it. So what I, you know, environment is everything. So shooting with a bunch of guys isn't necessarily for a girl, especially that age, if you want to keep her interested. But, and this is a but, if you get her friends interested in with it, tell her to bring her friend down. Let her try something. That's why I always say sometimes getting one of these expensive, re, uh, inexpensive recurve bows you can find on Amazon or a local shop somewhere is great to have because, like, you've got her compound bow, but her friend who may want to try it or she can, you know, convince to come down and try it with her, she's not going to invest in a compound bow. And since you're not a teacher, or at least you didn't say you were, you probably don't have the equipment for her to use one of these universal draw bows. But if you have a recurve, a very light 15, 20 pound recurve, she can try that. Hunger games and all, you know, a lot of inspiration out there and you never know, but they may like it. Now, all of a sudden when her friends get into it, you bring in more people into it and she's around people like her and you, she can have fun with the family and at the same time, not be like kind of, isolated from all her friends everyone's having a good time and that little spark that you found that when she first started shooting the boat she liked it will be enhanced and she'll stick with it forever so it's all about the environment get her friends to start get her friends to try you know what i mean it's that's how we do it the more people involved especially younger people the better get them to come down people her age you know, that, that's the thing that's going away these days. We're losing a lot of hunters and a lot of archers because it's something that, well, dad or grandpa did, and they never pass it down. You'll see that a lot of my posts focus on the ladies I have in my program. Though They made their own team name now, so they've renamed my team from the High Power Archery Lightning. Now it's the High Power Archery Angels. I'm good with it. That's fine. For the couple of boys that got on the team, Live with it, guys. It's not changing. But, like I said, there's not enough women in the sport, and we do everything we can to bring them in. Because remember, if everybody's involved, it'll go on and on. But if you start narrowing it down to just guys or just the older guys, then that's how you make a sport extinct, and we're not going to let that happen. So, Daryl, like I said, try to get her friends involved. Try to keep it interesting for her, and I think you'll find... That not only will she enjoy spending the time with you and her friends, she'll stick with it for a long time. And our last question comes from Sean W. And he writes, I found your podcast thanks to a buddy and it's been so helpful. It's my 10-year-old's first season hunting with a bow. We'll be hunting on our own property and I want to make sure he does it all right. 
He got a doe last year with a muzzleloader, and I was in the stand with him. Must have been a two-person stand. But I don't think that's possible in archery. I've always hunted solo, but I'm a gun hunter. He wanted to try archery and liked it so much, he's ready to go hunting with a bow. But I'm afraid of what can go wrong with bow hunting and if he panics in the tree or something. Can you tell me what to do in these cases? I know you mentioned taking younger kids hunting, and one of my friends who actually met you in person showed me a photo of you and one of your girls with a monster that she had shot. Just to clarify, it's a monster buck. It's some kind of like walking dead monster, monster buck. Uh, and that was Terry last year. Um, I'd love to see my son get another doe, let alone a monster buck like that one. Looking for some help from you on this one and what I should do. Okay, Sean, you, you told me that you're not a bow hunter, and that's fine. But the fact that you actually got your son into it and that you helped him along with it is even better. And yes, you can do this. And it is, yes, it is a concern. His first time out there, you don't want him to be by himself, especially in a tree stand. So, like, when you shot with him in a, in a tree stand with the muzzle loader, you were right there next to him because they make what they call two-person tree stands. Now, there are two different ways to do this. You can do it with a tree stand or you can do it the other way with a blind. If you don't have a blind, they're relatively inexpensive. They're probably, you can get blinds for as low as 40 or $60, whatever it is, and they go all the way up into the hundreds. You don't have to be all that fancy as long as the two of you can fit in the blind. You can sit there right with him in a comfortable chair, and when a deer comes along in front, he can take his shot. He's got to practice sit, you know, shooting from the seated position, but you will be able to, to tell him, there it is right there, aim, take your time, take your time, just like I'm sure you did when he took the shot with the muzzle load muzzle loader and you're up there in that two-person stand with him or in that box blind or whatever it is you were shooting with him from now it is harder but possible to do that with tree stand as well so let's just say that you have a now you're not going to do it in a two-person tree stand because it's just not enough room for him to get up and do what he's got to do i don't suggest that it's not made for that but let's just say you have a hang on or a climber stand in case you've never seen the the um, behind-the-scenes footage of when they record an, an outdoors TV show, there are two guys in the, in the tree, sometimes in the same tree with the cameraman above or below, sometimes in the tree right next to them. And you can both do the same thing. You both have tree stands. You can go into trees right next to each other and still be able to whisper to him or tell, tell him what's going on and what he should do. Or you can be in a stand right below him or right above him, and still tell him what to do and keep an eye on what he's doing. If you're below him, it's a little bit better because you can see the deer coming, and you can just tap him on the foot like that directly above you and say, hey, this is what you're going to do. Take your time. And believe it or not, a deer is not going to hear a whisper. He's going to hear a yell if you're trying to yell from one tree to the other, but he's not going to hear a whisper. And you'll be able to maintain the same control. My first advice is always to do it from a blind because that much easier. But he'll have to practice from both, practice from the stand, practice from the blind, because in case you don't know, they're very different shots. But that being said, you will be able to get it done. In a couple of weeks, I'm taking a couple of, a couple of my young ladies into, into the woods for their first time for opening day in uh, Suffolk County, New York. And I'm telling you, we're going to be in a blind. I have a double bull blind, which can fit about three people in there. And I do it all the time. And we're going to, 
sit in there. I'll be in the middle with those two on either side of me. And when the deer comes along, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tap the one on the shoulder who's going to take the shot. I'm going to tell them which pin to use. Concentrate. Take the shot. They've been practicing seated shots for weeks. And they're going to make it happen. Matter of fact, where we're going, there's probably going to see a bunch of deer all at the same time. Again, it's it doesn't make a difference if it's a buck or a doe. It's the fact that they're going to see a living deer now. And if we see multiples at the same time, I'll be like, you take that one there. You take that one there. And I'm going to try to capture it on film. And I'm going to get it for them. And we're going into it with the confidence that this is going to happen our way. And as long as you're confident in that, that you know you can be safe, and you know everything's going to go right, there's not a problem. Because the biggest thing that happens after someone is in a tree stand or even in a blind is that case of nerves that sets in after they took the shot. you got to be there to calm them down, like, calm down. Shot's there. We see where it hit. We see where it went. And then to stop them from running, to run out of that blind or climb down that stand right away, just try to go run after this deer, which is the wrong thing to do. We'll get into that another time. But that's what you do. So that'll do it for our listener questions. Um, As always, if you have more questions, just email them in. Like I said, I answer every question that comes in. So now we're on to that segment, which causes me to enhance my calm all the time. Don't be that guy. So for this week's don't be that guy or that girl, you'll find out why I'm saying that shortly. Don't be that guy who's a phony personality. I'm talking about people who somehow get insta-famous all of a sudden and then start posting articles, or even worse, YouTube videos about subjects that they have no idea about. And they are not responsible enough to stay out of it. Stay in your lane if you don't know about the subject. Don't become an instant subject matter expert. Don't be that guy. Okay, and I'm trying not to lose it here. Don't be that guy who, I mean, you, you telegraph it a mile away when I'm watching some of these videos, who you can tell is doing an advertisement, not a demonstration, and not a review because it ain't true. You're doing an advertisement for a product just because they gave you free product or they're giving you a little bit of money or something like that because you become, again, insta-famous, like I said. And without even trying this stuff, they say, it's the best thing since cheese. I swear by it. You know how many people do this with outdoor camping stuff and have never even been in the woods? Don't be that guy. It drives me crazy. Ooh. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to calm down because it's not easy because they drive me crazy. These people, those guys or those girls, they spew the goodness of a product they haven't used because there's something in it for them. And you can spot them coming a mile away if you know what to look for, okay? But to all of you out there who do this thing because you have you you have followers or you're called influencers, don't be that guy or girl who suddenly go out there 
and if you're listening to this, it's directly meant for you. They suddenly go out there and buy a bow press. And in some way, they are now, they do a video on, I'm setting up my bow for the hunting season. And they don't even know how to use the damn thing. But suddenly, they're supposed to be, I'm an expert. In the case of the one I'm talking about, you ain't no expert. You're an embarrassment for what you're doing. Because some of the things I've seen you do on your videos are so asshat qualifying stupid that if anyone watched them and took them seriously, they're either going to get hurt or they're going to do something really, really wrong and blow up a boat. Because you don't have the first clue about what you're doing. So in this case, don't be that girl who becomes insta-famous and takes the advantage of other people by saying, I'm going to get 10,000 hits on this video by putting something out there that I don't have a freaking clue about. Those are the people I'm talking about. Someone gives you something, all of a sudden you're the expert on it. Trust me, you probably used it maybe once, and all of a sudden you think you know everything about it. And you're doing more bad than good, but because you're insta-famous influencer, you get to pull it off and get paid for it. So don't be that guy or that girl, especially this. Don't be that guy or that girl or that young lady or that young man who pays attention to these asshats and is influenced by anything they say. Because they don't know what they're talking about. And they don't have your best interests at heart. I'm enhancing my inner calm now. This rant is over. Yeah, it was a quick one. But believe me, people, those people drive me nuts. The Instagram people, the Insta-famous people, the people on YouTube who do this. And all of a sudden, they're experts. I can count on my hand how many times they've actually been in the woods. Yet... They take that, they pose for that picture. That's, oh my goodness, it's just horrible. And I'm sorry if I raised my voice like that, but I feel very strongly on the subject. And we will return to our normal programming now. So that'll do it for this episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. We hope it's been at least entertaining for you, but we do hope that what you get out of it will help you in the end. Um, as always, if you have any questions, you can email us at highpowerarchery at gmail.com. You can visit us on our website at www.highpowerarchery.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. You obviously know how since you're listening to it uh, right now, and it doesn't cost you anything, and it just keeps you on top of when we release new episodes. Now, albeit I did not release an episode last week, it's right before hunting season starts. I had so much work with all the kids and all that to get them ready. We couldn't do that. And as much as we like to put out these po- these podcasts every single week, like like clockwork, the kids and the and the students come first. So I always have my priorities like that. Not that I don't care about you folks out there listening, but they got to come first, and I'll never put them second. Anyway, uh, that's all for now. As always, it's never goodbye. It's until we see you again. And until then, stay safe and shoot straight.